On behalf of the Kosachuk family, we are deeply grateful to see all of you here to support them in their sudden loss, in their grief, as they mourn the passing of a beloved husband and father, grandfather, brother, and friend. As we come together this morning, we'll sing together Psalter 28. You can find that in the Psalter books in front of you in the pew. Psalter 28 will sing all verses. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
We'll read the first 11 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that ye, as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many. On our behalf, may God bless the reading of his holy, infallible, and perfect word to our hearts this morning. Let's see God's face in prayer. Glorious and almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the creator of humanity. You have set the bounds of our lives from the moment of conception to the moment of death. You have charted our lives every single moment, every single breath that we take is known to you. Lord, you know the reason why we are gathered here this morning as we grieve the sudden loss of Bill. Lord, this morning we, we feel that hole in our lives, in our hearts, acutely. As we experience the consequences of sin. For you have said from the very beginning of creation, 
that from the moment Adam and Eve would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. We know the sad history that they have eaten of that fruit, and ever since, humanity has been subject to death and dying and grief and sorrow and sickness and pain and suffering. You've said in your word that the wages of sin is death. Lord, we we groan under that burden this morning. The entire creation groans, awaiting the redemption. As we spoke and pastored, our brother Bill, he himself groaned under the consequences of sin, longing for that day when he could stand in Emmanuel's land and behold the Savior in His glory and His beauty and now He is there. We are grateful, O Lord, that You have released Your servant from his bonds, that he now stands in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, singing Your praises, glorifying You with all that He is, What a thought that is for us this morning. And though we grieve, we do not grieve as those without hope. We have the hope that is in Christ Jesus, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me will have eternal life. Do you believe this? And so as we are here below, as we face death, as we grieve our loss. That question comes to us to challenge us. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Is our trust in God who raises the dead? And so, Lord, we pray that as your word goes forth this morning, it would challenge us, but it would also comfort us. And to that end, Lord, we do pray for Marcy that you would comfort her as she grieves the loss of her husband. As reality sets in in the days to come, the quietness of the home, the disruption of a life shared together, a life shared together with flaws and sin, and yet those patterns disrupted, new patterns that need to be formed and found Lord, you are the God of the widow. You've promised to be with the widow. And so we pray that Marcy would lay hold of that promise for her own self and find that you are a God who is near to her, comforting and strengthening and helping. We pray for each of the children. Each of them shared a unique relationship with their father, carved out over the years each one relating to their father differently, each of them having their own memories. Father, we pray for for Gabriel and Kendall, for Abigail and Stephen, for Luke and Rachel, for Ethan and Catherine, for Andrew and Grace, Josiah, Obadiah and Isaac. Lord, sustain each of them. You are the God of the fatherless, We pray that in you they would find a father who is near, 
a father who is able to comfort, a father who will uphold them and strengthen and assist them in the moments of deepest loss, when the memories are fresh, when the memories fade. Lord, we pray that you would be near to them and uphold them, and that if they do not have a relationship with you as father, that they would come to know you as such through Jesus Christ, that Bill's death, the death of their earthly father, would serve as the rebirth, as a new birth into the family of God with a new father, a heavenly father for the sake of Jesus Christ. We pray for siblings of Bill. Lord, we pray that you will uphold them and sustain them and help them. As we see this morning, the life of your servant has touched many other lives through a word, through a tract, through business, through church families over the years. Father, we pray that as each one of us carries our grief differently because of our relationship to this brother, we pray that you would sustain each one and that we would not end in this relationship that we had with, with a man, but that this morning we would end in a relationship with the living God, the God with whom we have to do, the God whom we will meet on the day of our appointment. And so, Father, we pray that you would take your word, you would bring it home with power this morning, that the excellency would not be of man but of God, and that our faith would not rest in the word of man but in the very word of God itself, in the God who raises the dead. But that would be our hope. And we pray for those who are here this morning without hope, without Christ, who as it stands now, will meet you as their maker without Christ. Help them to see their plight, to see the gravity of their situation and flee for refuge to Christ Jesus, the one who redeems, the one who restores, the one who resurrects from the dead. And so we pray that even as we grieve, our hearts would be filled with hope and joy as we contemplate where Bill is now and what you are to him now is all and in all. And be that for us this morning, Lord, that you would be front and center, that we would fade into the background and all would be for you. We ask all this now in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Sing again together from Psalter 280. Psalter 280.
Well, our text for the funeral service this morning comes from the verses that we read, specifically verses 8 through 10. I'm just going to read them again. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Dear Marcy, Gabriel and Kendall, Abigail and Stephen, Luke and Rachel, Ethan and Catherine, Andrew and Grace, Josiah, Obadiah, and Isaac. I wasn't going to do that list from memory. I could. But you are here this morning because your lives changed suddenly this past week. Something that we had not anticipated, but that God knew from eternity in His wisdom and His fatherly care and providence. Just reflecting back on the life of your family in the recent months, a close brush with death, a near-death experience for, for you, Josiah, and what you almost experienced, your dad experienced a week ago today. Death has a way of turning our lives upside down. The suddenness of his death causes us to reflect and to grieve differently than if he had passed away slowly because of sickness. The suddenness of his death meant that he was ripped from us. Death always has this ripping and rending effect, doesn't it? Because of the suddenness, he was ripped from our lives. On his way to prayer meeting and choir last Saturday, no chance to say goodbye. Although, as you, Abigail, noted in your Facebook post, he was fond of saying goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Isn't that a believer's farewell? Goodbye for now. Your dad always lived with a sense that heaven was close by. That's reflected in how he said goodbye to you. Death's cold hand in your family reminds us that death is, is the last enemy that we need to overcome. Bill's death leaves a hole in your family, a large hole, leaves a hole in our church community, in our church family. The lives of those whom he knew. Bill was a, a tender man, a spiritual man. One of my memories of Bill is just reflecting in this past week is when I would come down from the pulpit after preaching. After the elders and deacons would shake my hand, he was right there, often a, a handshake or a hug. 
and a thought that he had gleaned from the sermon, often with tears, of how that sermon had affected him in a particular way. He was a man keenly aware of his own shortcomings, of his own sins, quick to confess them and lay hold of that grace that had become so familiar and so real to him and so necessary for him. So death has entered your family, but we know that Bill is above the fray. The battle is over. Death is conquered. But that means that we remain here. How do we deal with this loss? How do we move forward? How do we look ahead? Each one of us here this morning has a different relationship with Bill. How do we move forward? How do we think about death this morning? Funerals always have a way of bringing death to the foreground, having us grapple with our own mortality. How do we think about that? How do we move ahead? Well, the Word of God is a ballast. It's a foundation. It's a great help, the only help, really, in times like this. It gives us perspective and points us to our only source of comfort and consolation in the midst of death. Brings us to God himself, as our text points out in verse 9, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. My theme for this message is divine consolation in the midst of death. Divine consolation in the midst of death. In the first place, we see the necessity of this consolation. The necessity of this consolation. The Apostle Paul, Scripture, doesn't sugarcoat life. It doesn't sugarcoat the Christian life either. Paul begins with a description in verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. The words there remind us that we are subject to suffering in this life, that we are subject even to death. Trouble, pressed out, despair, death. Our prospects are not very hopeful this morning, are they? The Christian life is one marked by suffering and sorrow and loss and even death. But in the verses preceding verse 8, Paul highlights something for us this morning. Verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Verse 7, our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. There's a principle at work here in the life of a Christian believer. The measure of our consolation, of our comfort by Christ in a sense, is proportionate to the measure of suffering for Christ. 
It doesn't mean that we sign up for suffering. It doesn't mean that we sign up for death. It doesn't mean that we live lives of despair intentionally, no. Scripture also calls us to live lives of joy, lives of happiness centered in God. As a family, you didn't sign up for suffering. You didn't sign up to experience the death of a husband and father and grandfather this week. But a believer's suffering is always tempered with the consolation that is offered in the gospel by Christ. And it's true, isn't it, that the deeper we suffer, the deeper and the sweeter and the more precious is the consolation and the comfort that we draw down from God and from the gospel as it is in Christ Jesus as we receive it from Him. And so we need consolation. And that consolation comes to us in the very midst of suffering, in the very experience of death. Paul shows from his own life how that his consolation was learned through the things that he suffered. He was walking in the footsteps of his master. Just as his master, Jesus Christ, learned obedience through the things that he suffered, so Paul learned that consolation came through following Christ in a life of suffering. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Why is Paul writing these words? Is he writing these words so that he might be magnified? So we can look to Paul this morning and say, wow, Paul was amazing. He, he suffered intensely. Paul was a super apostle. I could never do what Paul did. That's not the point. That's not why Paul is writing about his sufferings. Yes, the suffering that Paul experienced was very intense, likely a very near-death experience. Death was all around him, even to the point where they despaired of of survival. We We don't know exactly what it was that he experienced, but we know he experienced a lot, whether it was shipwreck, whether it was whipping, whether it was stoning. The suffering that Paul experienced stretched the boundaries of human strength, the limitations of, of human strength, pressed out of measure above strength. It was here that Paul learned the necessity of the comfort that is in Christ, the comfort that is in God alone. Paul didn't relate his sufferings in order to magnify himself. He related his sufferings so that the Corinthian church might come to rest and be grounded in the God who raises the dead. That's my wish for you as a family. As, as you as a family, as you experience this consolation from God himself, And as you suffer intensely, that you would not use that suffering to magnify yourself, but that you would lead others to rest in God who raises the dead. And so we see that this consolation is necessary. Necessary so that we might come to rest not in ourselves, but in God. Necessary because we live subject to death and suffering. 
That's the arena in which you are now as a family, as friends. In the arena of death, of mourning, of questions, of of the ripping effect of death. We've experienced the ugly reality of the wages of sin. As we read in Romans 6.25, death is unnatural. We were not created to die. That's why death is so awful, isn't it? And yet, death in the hand of God this morning points out the necessity of consolation that can only be provided by Himself, by God Himself. That's what Paul learned. That's what every believer learns. That's what we need to learn this morning. That's what the Word of God is calling us to learn. Death calls you to consider your relationship with God this morning in the midst of death. So I ask you, where are you this morning in relationship to God? Bill was fond of handing out, an, handing out a pamphlet titled, An Appointment You Will Keep, written by Dr. Beakey, one of his other pastors. An Appointment You Will Keep. Bill handed that out because he loved the souls of people. He wanted them to consider their end. He wanted them to know where they were going, if they were going to heaven, to be sure of that, if they were going to hell, to to get on the road of heaven. That was Bill's passion. But even as he handed out that booklet, we were reminded this week that Bill had that appointment himself. Last Saturday morning, he kept that appointment, appearing before his Savior and Lord and entering into the joy of his Lord. But as we live in the midst of death, as we hear of suffering, as we witness the suffering of the the Kosachuk family, the focus is not on them. The focus is on God who gives consolation in the midst of death. That's where we're called to turn this morning. In our second thought, we see this morning the source of this consolation. We've, we've already been reaching there, haven't we? The source of consolation. As Paul suffered, he learned an invaluable lesson in the midst of suffering and death. He learned to lean on the one who was this consolation. Marcy, you reminded me of the sermon from Psalm 37. Roll and lean. Well, here again, I'm going to counsel you to roll and lean on the one who provides consolation. You can do so even in the midst of death, because God is faithful. God will uphold you as a family. That's true for you as well. Paul leans on the one who is this consolation. That's what he speaks about in verse 9. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. It's in that context that Paul learned to trust in God. He summarizes here what he experienced, what is universal to the human condition. 
the sentence of death in ourselves. There's a sense of judgment about these words, isn't there? This is what we have to contend with in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones. We have to face death. We are all subject to this sentence. We all have the sentence of death in ourselves. It's an echo of God's words to Adam and Eve when they ate of the forbidden fruit in the garden. The consequences of their action earned them the sentence of death. Dying, you shall die. So Paul summarizes here what he had experienced. The sentence of death in ourselves. It's important to remember that death doesn't have the end, is not the end of the story. If you are in Christ this morning, it will not write the end of your story. It will mark the end of your temporal life here on earth. But death is really only that which ushers a believer into the presence of God. And so as it marks the end of our earthly existence for a a believer, we always have hope that something better is coming. Listen to what Paul says. Paul doesn't end in death here in these words. But he states the great purpose of death and suffering. It's first stated in the negative that we should not trust in ourselves. Death and suffering has a way of exposing human weakness and fragility. Bill crossed the center line last Saturday and immediately upon impact there was death. No amount of human intervention could stave off death. It was instant. How often in the midst of suffering and death don't we look to our own resources? What can I do to escape this suffering? What can I do to lessen and mitigate suffering? How can I eat better in order to stave off death? How can I exercise in order to to increase my life span? Well, these things are not wrong in themselves. But that is not ultimately where the hope of a believer ought to lie. No amount of research can stave off death. No amount of prevention can ultimately put off the day of our death. It's coming. It's coming. But the point is that if we are weak and powerless in the face of death, then our own strength will not stand up when death comes. Our strength will not hold up. It's simply not durable. This reality stares us in the face. Bill was healthy, he was strong. He was vibrant. He was only 67. Only getting to know and love his grandchildren. But his weakness, you are my weakness in the face of death is real. And so the purpose of death and suffering is not so that we trust in ourselves. 
If you're trusting in yourself this morning, you'll never make it. That's what the Word of God is saying to you this morning. You'll never make it. If you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never make it. If you're not trusting in the God who raises the dead, you will never make it. That's the reality of a life without God and without Christ. And so Bill's death has a message for all of us so that we don't trust in ourselves. God forbid that we would trust in ourselves this morning as we witnessed what happened last Saturday. Ultimate hope and consolation is not found in any human being. It's not found in any human relationship. It's not found in any human self-effort to get us to heaven. It's not found in any goodness in man to get us to heaven. It's so that we will not trust in ourselves, so that we will cut off all human hope and effort this morning in the face of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would come to trust solidly and only in God. That's where Paul goes next. He states it positively that we should not trust in ourselves, but God which raiseth the dead. Here is the great purpose of death this morning, to get us out of ourselves and into God through Jesus Christ. Marcy, on Sunday afternoon as we were eating, you stated that no one had yet told you the purpose of Bill's death. I'm telling you now that you don't trust in yourself but in God. If that's all that we learn, then we've learned enough as to what the purpose is of Bill's death. Children, that goes for you too and the questions that you have regarding the death of your father, the memories that you have of him. It's not that you rest in who your father was, but you might rest in God alone who raises the dead, who gives hope and comfort and consolation. This helps us process what you've experienced in the past week. And so it's not about us, but it's about God. The God who created Bill in his mother's womb. The God who took Bill on Saturday morning. The God who will raise Bill again when he comes again. God who raises the dead. And so we're called this morning to take the focus off of ourselves and to place it on God. We're inherently self-focused. And death has a way of reorienting us. Refreshing our focus on God Himself. It's like looking through a camera that's out of focus. You know the reality, don't you? When you're focused on yourself, life becomes fuzzy and confusing. We can't make sense of the things that we experience. But death comes in. And so that we might tr not trust in ourselves, but 
and God who raises the dead and suddenly the camera is, is in focus again, life and death. Eternity, heaven or hell, the blood of Christ or our own self-effort. God reminds us that He is the only source of comfort and consolation. And notice how Paul writes and describes God. He's the one who raiseth the dead. So here this morning is the source of Christian hope. We're not grieving as those who do not have hope. We have hope this morning. Not because of who we are, not because of who Bill was. But we're cast back onto the grace of God this morning. It is because of who God is in Christ Jesus. The one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus and called him to come forth, the one who not long after that went into the grave himself and was raised to the power of an endless life, the one who stands in our midst by his spirit as it were and through his word and challenges us, I am the resurrection and the life, do you believe this? And how is the resurrection from the dead a source of comfort? It means that death does not have the final word. It means that God is the source of life. Death has a powerful way of reminding us that there's no life in us. Physical life, sure. But not spiritual life. Not that life that reconciles sinners with a holy God. That life is to be found in Christ Jesus alone, in God alone, who raises from the dead. And that's the comfort He provides. The life that is found in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so my friends, this morning, God is the center of this funeral. The God who raises the dead. On Monday will be the graveside. The dirt will cover the remains of our brother. But the act of Christian burial is an act of faith. An act that is centered on the God who raises the dead. His mortal remains will be put in the grave awaiting the resurrection. The body will be raised incorruptible and the soul will be reunited to the body and live in perfection. Bill will experience that. His experience in perfection of soul now in the presence of God. Life everlasting. Bill had the principle of life living within him. Every believer does while in this life. But now we could say he's more alive than he ever was. Because he has that life in its fullness. Life without sin. What a prospect that is. That's the Christian hope. 
That's the hope that every believer has. Death does not have the victory. A believer is ultimately triumphant over death because he trusts not in himself, but in God who raises the dead. And so, my friend, where is your trust placed this morning? In yourself? Or in God who raises the dead? Think about that for a moment. God who raises the dead. There's plenty of examples in Scripture where God has raised the dead. Proving the almighty power of God in raising the dead to life. Maybe you're still doubting Him this morning. He made Lazarus to arise. He rose himself from the dead. Who among us can raise a dead body? No one. Only God can raise the dead. And so this speaks to the exclusivity of God and his claim upon us as his creatures this morning. He calls us to account this morning if we're outside of Christ. But he also comforts those who are in Christ this morning with the reality that he is the only source of consolation and power because he is the God who raises from the dead. Dear Kozachuk family, you can lean on this God. He's sufficient. He's all-powerful. You can test him in the days ahead and he will prove true. You can unburden yourself in his presence. He knows. He provides grace and perspective in difficult moments of grief. But don't ever, ever trust in yourself. Trust in him alone. Because he's the God who raises from the dead. He raises and he delivers again and again. And that's the source of our consolation, God himself. And in our final thought, we see the fulfillment of this consolation. A believer always is looking for this comfort, for this consolation as we live life here below in the context of suffering and death and battling sin. We're awaiting its ultimate fulfillment. The final installment of this comfort. The full reality of this comfort. The full reality that God raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Paul is reflecting on his experience in Asia. He says God delivered us from so great a death. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. We despaired even of life. We didn't think we were going to make it, but God delivered us. And there might be moments in in your family life that you might not think you're going to make it. But God delivers. That's the testimony of the Word of God this morning, that God will deliver. He does deliver, Paul says. Paul had learned this deliverance. 
Not just physically, but spiritually, again and again and again, God had proven faithful in the life of Paul, written for our consolation to tell us that God is faithful and true to His Word, that He will deliver again and again. That He's faithful and true to His Word. He gives grace upon grace. He delivers so that we might live. He confronts us with death this morning so that sinners might live through Jesus Christ and be delivered from so great a death of eternal condemnation and hell. He delivered us from death so that we might be weaned from this world. His deliverance from near-death experiences is so that we might look forward to the ultimate deliverance and the resurrection that is to come. Our hope in God this morning is not merely for temporal deliverance. Our hope in God this morning in the midst of grief is not just to to blunt the edge of grief and to help us through this life. So that we might more fully lean on the God who raises the dead and learn to hope and long for its final installment, to yearn, to yearn. There's a book written by a a woman in one of our churches who had lost a child to cancer. The title of her book is Learning to Yearn. In the midst of grief and suffering, she had learned to yearn for that final deliverance. Deliverance from death and the resurrection in the God who raises the dead. Beloved, Christ will come again. He will raise the dead. He will raise your husband and your father. And if you're in Him and you die before His coming, you can be sure too that He will raise you. We have that guarantee from the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, this God who raises the dead, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the fulfillment of this consolation. That is what death teaches us to yearn for as believers. And so we leave this place grieving. We do so with consolation, with divine consolation that comes from God Himself who raises the dead. We do not grieve as those without hope. Here is the divine consolation amid death, the final installment of it. So I ask you this morning, 
What are you looking forward to as a believer? What are you looking forward to? Has Bill's death taught you to yearn? To yearn for this incorruption, to yearn for this immortality, to yearn to be in the presence of Christ in perfection. That as you become more heavenly minded, you might be more fit for earthly use. To tell others about this hope that is in Christ the anticipation you have of the life that is to come centered and grounded in God who raises the dead. If you're not in Christ this morning, what are you hoping for? What are you looking forward to? Are you looking for the next vacation that might bring satisfaction? Are you investing and putting stock in the relationships of this life? No, my friend. Don't turn there. Let Bill's death teach you this, that there is hope, that there is life, that there is comfort in God who raises the dead. You say, well, I'm too far gone. My sin is too great. No, it's not. It is not. This morning there is hope for sinners because Christ is alive. You too can live in him. Come to him. Confess your sin. Repent of it. Turn from it. Flee from it. Let Bill's death teach you this. That there's only true and lasting comfort in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that your word would find entrance into our, into our hearts, into our minds, both in terms of comfort and conviction. Let it sustain us. Let it sustain the family in particular as they move forward without Bill in their lives. Lord, we confess that we will miss him. But as we were taught this morning, even as we miss him, even as we experience and feel the whole in our lives, you are greater than that whole, for you are the God of life. How we thank you this morning that you've come to us as the God of life, giving opportunity to repent and to believe the gospel, speaking words of comfort to believers, raising the glorious prospects of heaven, the incorruption and immortality of this body that is yet to come. Lord, go with us now in the time of fellowship that we would serve to encourage one another in light of the day that is coming. We pray, Lord, that your word would saturate our conversation. That the Christian hope of the resurrection in the God of life would saturate our conversation. We pray in particular for Brother Bruce Quakel as he leads the graveside on Monday morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help him 
Give him fitting words for the family and friends that gather for, for that occasion. That our eyes would not be directed to the grave itself, but to the victory that lies in Christ Jesus. Lord, hear us, we pray. In Jesus' name alone. Amen. Before we sing, I just have one announcement. On behalf of the Kalamazoo Reformed Church, we just kindly request that all food and drink be kept in the fellowship hall or in the overflow rooms provided, and that we try to keep all our activity to this side, to this wing of the church, uh, so that the cleaning staff have less of a job after we, after we vacate the building. So on behalf of the Kalamazoo Reformed Church, we just ask you to do that and respect that. And then after we sing, we'll uh, have the benediction. So let's sing Psalter 51. We'll do so standing. The last two verses, we will sing a cappella. That's without instrumentation.
goes without saying that uh, the family invites all of you uh, to join for the luncheon afterwards. There will also be a time of sharing. Um, The family just wanted me to remind you of that. Receive now the blessing of the Lord and go in his peace and in his life. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated.